0: Thanks, honey. Thanks, team. Well, again, a, a very warm welcome and a Merry Christmas to you all and to everyone joining us online from wherever, what city, what island or what nation you're joining from, us from. God bless you. Merry Christmas. <clears throat> Our theme for Christmas this year is Prepare Him Room. Has anyone, has anyone here this morning been a little bit like me? over recent weeks, and really going, I've just got to tick this box. I've just got to tick this box. I've just got to get to here. Am I the only one that's been like that? I've been really trying not to do that, but man, I'll tell you what. How about this? Has anyone ever experienced that long, endless night of anticipation, waiting to be allowed to get up and open the gifts under the tree? Oh, come on, you can be honest. I think we almost—we've already established some people didn't even go to bed. You know, when I was a kid, I longed for—I longed for the peaking rays of the rising sun to push away the dark of night. I remember lying awake in my in in bed, talking to my brother, my younger brother, and I. We shared a bedroom, and our greatest risk was getting so excited that we would start to talk really animated and then we hear this really low grumbling voice from down the hallway. And we'd woken up our dad. We worked really hard not to do that. Really hard. I mean, I was desperate for that, that, that uh, pre-morning coffee growly voice that goes, okay, you can get up now. <laughs> I was like, yes! You know, as a kid, I, I struggled with the singular focus of presence. No room for anything else in my mind, especially, especially as I saw the 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 the, the pile start to get a little bit bigger. Uh, you know, every week there was a couple more added on there, and and you know, everything within me was just my fingertips came alive. I just wanted to feel them, and I wanted to just like squeeze them and shake it, and you know, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm sure I'm not the only one. I've described to the church numerous times when I've been preaching how when I read the Bible, I like to try and put myself into the story. I'm I'm either actually there just observing or I'm there participating or or I'm just there following the crowd. And I like to be in the story when I read it. And, you know, when I read the story of Jesus' birth, I I wonder if there was a sense in the people in Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Israel, a little bit like I used to be just waiting for the That the new day's sun to start to shake and push away the shadows of the night. I wonder what it was like for them. I I try and go, what must it have been like for them after centuries of waiting for the prophesied arrival of the Messiah? Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he was talking to a rebellious and a sin filled nation of Israel who are about to go into exile or some of them already had, and they're desperate for a sign, and Isaiah 7.14 says it's all right then. It's like Isaiah went, fine. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, that prophecy was 700 years before the birth of Jesus. No present on the planet would have lasted that long. I'm sure of it. But you know what? I wonder. I wonder if we were to take the same waiting and the same anticipation of, those, of the early Israelites in the, in the early years of Israel. I wonder if we overlaid that over today. Would people still keep believing? Would there still be faith? I've concluded looking around and being a pastor for as long as I have, I've concluded the, the answer to that is yes, because the Bible prophesies Jesus' return and, and we're still believing, so praise God for that. But you know, in our instant coffee microwave world, I guess maybe sometimes we've lost the ability to wait, to develop the discipline of believing and holding on with faith, to prepare a room for the long-awaited arrival. That weight, that that preparation, that patient endurance, you know, these are something that every one of us must face, but it's not a conversation everybody wants to have. I want this now. I remember my son, Dad, you're going to buy me a car? No. No. How am I going to get a car? You're going to earn it. How long will that take? (laughs) Can you imagine the magi, the wise men, as astrologers, they'd studied the heavens for decades and, and, and suddenly they saw it, a divine celestial sign, the star, and you know, I kind, of, I kind of picture these guys absolutely losing the plot. They'd studied the heavens, they'd studied the stars, they'd seen all, all sorts of astronomical and astrological phenomena, they'd seen comets, they'd seen all sorts of things, but suddenly it was almost like a, it was almost like a supernatural starter gun. You know, it was like, on your marks, let there be lights. Go! You know, it's like these guys, I don't think they could have packed quick enough. But wait a minute. This was no record breaking 100 meter sprint. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 2 that they came from the east. Now, theologians have ascertained that the Magi were from the land of the Medes and Persians, which is modern day Iraq. So that means that they would have travelled between 1000 and 1500k by camel. So that's about 10 plodding kilometers a day. So that's 3 to 6 months of travel through desert and rock and waterless waste and However, Again, in Matthew chapter 2, we also read that when the the Magi arrived in Jerusalem, they went and saw King Herod, as is the custom, you know, visiting dignitaries, go and honour the king with gifts and things. And, And in discussion, King Herod asks the wise men, when did you first see the star? And in that conversation, he then ascertains and he makes a decision. And then once the wise men had left, he decides and he sends soldiers to Bethlehem to kill every boy under the age of two. So whilst we don't have a definitive age, at the point that the wise men or the Magi came and worshiped Jesus, he was somewhere between six months and two years old. I wonder, would we take a trip like that? Would we be so excited about the arrival of Jesus or the arrival of the prophesied Messiah Would we take a trip like that? You know, when all of us hatch kids, and I'm one of four, when we were all young and still at school, my dad had this tradition around Christmas Day, and it went like this. We would get up, when they finally said we could, (laughs) and before anything happened, we would all get up, have breakfast, and then we would go to church as a whole family. That's a good thing. And you knew when the hatches were in church where I grew up because it was this tiny little Anglican church and all six of us would fill up one pew. So the hatches are in the house and so we'd go as a whole family we'd, and quite often we would walk to church. It was only three miles away and so we would, we would leave early and we would walk to church, only three miles away. Um, and, uh, and then we, you know, we would walk home and we'd prepare lunch together as a family and we'd sit down together and have it together as a family. Good, yep, all ticked. And then we'd clean up together as a family. There were four dishwashers in our house. Eddie, Tom, Tim and Vic. Um, And so that was all good. That all sounds good, eh? And then it was all done and dusted. And then Dad would sit down for a cup of tea. Are you kidding me, Dad? About now, I was ready to pop a fuse. I was like, come on. And then finally, finally at three o'clock in the afternoon... No prisons had been opened, kids. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. I know. The look of despair. <laughs> I feel you, Matt. I feel you. I really do. We would all gather in the lounge. And it was like, yes. And then Dad would go. Right. And he would go around the whole family. And we, would all have we were all required to share our thoughts. Around the birth of Jesus and why he came, and it was like, ah, dad, really? Presence. I mean, like I could literally hear them taunting me under the tree. You know, every now and then the wrapping paper would go like that, and that was Morse code for ha I said, like, ah, but you know what? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dad now. I'm a granddad, and I won't do that to my children. But I look back now, and you know what? I'm convinced that Dad had established a pattern in our family, and he highlighted the fact that not only was Jesus the author of life and the declarer of light, but he was the absolute focus of the day. He was teaching us, as present, desperate children, (laughs) to make room for Jesus. You know, as each year passes, it seems more and more people lose the focus on the real reason for Christmas. And I read something the other day which I thought was incredibly profound. If we don't make room for Jesus, but we change Happy Holidays to Merry Christmas, all we're doing is changing the slogan. May I suggest this morning that instead of dwelling on the price we paid for things, Can we pause and think about the price paid for us? Rather than turning to a store that can offer us savings, maybe let's make room, let's turn to a savior who offered us his life. But you know what? I mean, it's been crazy. It's been absolutely crazy out there. Did you know Blenheim can have gridlock? Now I know everyone from Auckland or a larger city, you're going, yawn. I tried to get down Grove Road twice the other day. I, I nearly had another birthday. <laughs> but you know the crazy busyness that we experience now? Guess what? It's not new. It's not new. In fact, let's, let's all of us, let's place ourselves in, in, the, in the Christmas story now. And guess what? Okay, blink, blink, blink. We're now all in Bethlehem. And the reason we are all in Bethlehem because the government made another decision. Sorry, okay, I'll leave that there. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) And the emperor required a census. And so, of course, everyone had to go back to their hometown. So guess what? I'm just like, okay, you are now all in the lineage of David and we all have to rock up to Bethlehem. Okay, we're all in Bethlehem now. And that Bethlehem, which is just this tiny little little village, about three or four k's away from Jerusalem, suddenly overnight explodes. There isn't an Airbnb for love nor money. Hotels, forget it. Luke chapter 2, and Michaela read it so beautifully. Thank you, Michaela. At the time of the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. So guess what? Bethlehem wasn't the only busy place on the planet. It was across the Roman, known Roman Empire, so that's a lot of places. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first born, a son, wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know, I... Over many, many years, you know, I've heard people, you know, we like to beat up the innkeeper. You know, we like to pick on him and go, what a dope. But actually, let me just, let me just pause for a second. In some translation, they say there's no room for, the inn, for them in the inn. They call him the innkeeper. But um, this was no Bella Vista. Okay. This was definitely no Chateau Marlborough. And it actually wasn't even a Bings. All right. Those of you who are local know what I'm talking about. In actual fact, the truth is this was probably a very large, very large home with rooms added to it. So if you dive into theology, quite often big homes were made with guest rooms and they were generally for extended family. If family just rocked up or if someone rocked up, then there was a guest room for them. But let's get back to the innkeeper. You know what? He wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't a bad guy at all. He was just a guy trying to get through the week. The craziest week he had seen in Bethlehem in his entire life. And definitely since he built his house, even with extra rooms. The house was full. The pantry was empty. (laughs) The dining table was cleared and set. The sink in the kitchen was never empty. And suddenly, there's a knock at the door. Full house, a million things going on. Then Joseph and Mary rocked up and yet his house was full and he's feeling the heat. He's feeling the pressure. He's got a full house. Joseph's there, Mary's there, absolutely exhausted from coming all the way from Nazareth with a donkey. She's carrying a baby. Can we stay? What do you do? (laughs) He plays an incredibly important role. In the Christmas story, he did exactly what most of us would do in a desperate situation, try and come up with a solution, especially if we know it's someone special. Oh, but hang on a minute. He was so busy, (laughs) his brain was doing a billion (laughs) miles an hour. He's trying to figure out, how am I going to get to the market? Who's going to kill the sheep? Have we got any cheese left? Someone go milk the goat. we got to change the sheets. No, no, they don't have sheets back then. Probably have to change the straw. (laughs) He didn't even know who was standing at the door. His brain and his heart were so full with the immediate and the now, he had no room for anything extra. The sad thing here is that there is no room that was said to them. Actually, it set up a bit of a precedent for the rest of Jesus' life. Scripture records of another time when people said to Jesus, hey, we've got no room for you. If we look at John chapter 8, verse 37, Jesus is in the middle of a conversation with the Pharisees, and this is what he says to them You seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Now, if you go back to John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So, whilst Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, my word finds no place in you. You've got to remember, Jesus said, I don't say anything that I haven't heard my father say. And so if we put a capital W on that, it's like God was saying to the Pharisees, my word finds no place in you. You have no room for him. Imagine today the church today saying to Jesus, sorry, no room. It's a notion that's just wrong for believers now. Or is it? You know, at Jesus' arrival, he, uh, we, we just sang these lines. Jesus' arrival shook up the ground of all tradition. And it broke down the walls of Pharisaical religion. I wonder what that would look like today. The more years I put myself into the Christmas story, perhaps as the one answering the knock on the door, the more I see at times that I'm the innkeeper. Actually, more times than I'd like to admit. The song that Suzanne just sang, there's a line in it that says, "Oh, our hearts as busy as Bethlehem, hear him knock, don't say there's no room in the inn. You know, you know what? Having busy lives, having busy hearts, having full hearts, there's actually there's nothing wrong with that. That's just life. And it could be the season that you're in. It could be the, just what's going on in your world right now. But we now read in the scriptures that it's not Joseph and Mary knocking on the door. But we now read in the scriptures that it's actually Jesus knocking on the door. And Suzanne just read that to you in Revelation chapter 3 verses 19 and 20. It says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. Verse 19 says this, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Verse 20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Now, I've I've heard that verse 20, Revelation 3.20, I've heard that preached at evangelistic rallies. I've heard that spoken to people who don't believe in Jesus Christ. But actually, where that's written in the word of God it's not written to unbelievers. It's actually written to us. It's actually written to the church. I just, it just blows my head apart, people, that Jesus has to knock on the door of his own house. Honestly, you know, honestly, we believe and, and we love God and, and we love to worship Him. And, and for me, I, I, like I said, I, I put myself in the story and I sincerely hope. <laughs> I sincerely hope and imagine myself to be a gracious host who will serve and love Jesus. But if I'm not careful, I can end up just being another busy innkeeper. Do you want another story? Think about Martha and Mary. Mary. Who was the busy innkeeper in that story? And who heard the knock on the door and opened the door in that story? Even though time and time again humanity told the Son of God, We simply have no room for you? Jesus continues to tell humanity, I have more than enough room for you. Worship team, would you would you please come on back and let's get set up for, for Mark's item? I want to read you on our scripture before Mark sings. And the scripture goes like this. This is in uh, John chapter 14. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he told his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. I want you to think about that? There are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, "I'm going to prepare a place for you." And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. There it is, right there, folks. That's what we're helping. that's what we're hanging on to. The early is- the early nation of Israel was holding on to the prophecy that, a, that a, a messiah was going to be born of a virgin now guess what we know that happened but now we've got this promise and this is from jesus himself and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where i am